Check, check, sound, check, check. Check, check, one, check, check, one. Wait, is it sound, check, or is it sound, check? You know what I mean? That's ridiculous, Eric. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Nerds on History. I am one of your hosts, Eric Bricklop. And I'm Brian Moriarty. Hey, Brian. You were telling me something interesting earlier today, uh, a little factoid that you had come across. uh, I'd love for you to share it with everybody because it it was kind of neat. I didn't even know this. Yeah, definitely. Well, we were thinking about what we were going to do this week for the show. And I was looking at, well, what what was interesting that happened around uh, this time of year in, in August? And... Around this this week in time, about 60 years ago, was when the Dumont Network aired its last television show. And I thought this, like, I'm saying, what the hell is the Dumont Network? Yeah, what is the Dumont Network? <laughs> the, the, the Dumont Network is um, the forgotten network, quote unquote. Uh, it actually rivals NBC for being the first national television network. This sounds like a really bad J.J. Abrams plot. That's it, something. <laughs> it does almost sound like that, but this is, I swear this is hundred percent true. Okay. And it was named after Dr. Alan B. Dumont, who developed the cathode ray television. He didn't invent the television, but he invented the cathode ray television, or as you guys would know it, the CRT display. CRT, right. Right. Okay. Uh, and did it in a way, and that was the, the model that got popularized and manufactured. And Dumont was a rarity because he was both, that company was both the manufacturer of televisions and they had... <laughs> A studio as well for broadcasting and creating content. So he was really kind of monopolizing on it. He he was producing these televisions and making them popular, and then taking advantage of it by having one of the only available networks that was around <laughs> at the time. Well, he was one of the first, yeah, but he certainly wasn't the only one. Uh, and unfortunately, it didn't last very long, from what I can tell from the research I've done, from due to politics and stuff of the industry. Uh, Damn politics! Always yeah. getting in the way of entertainment. Yeah, and to me, that just kind of struck a chord because uh, television is, I think, a part of a lot of our lives. And for sure. me, uh, it was pretty much the the, uh, the drug of choice when I was a child. Oh, I, I was raised <clears throat> by the television. As much as I enjoyed reading books, as much as I enjoyed losing myself in them, yeah, there was something about the television that just captivated me. And I'm a very visual person, and I think that that definitely plays into it a lot. Um, I don't have an ear for music. So it's not that I don't enjoy music. It's just I can't make it. I can't yeah. do anything with it. And I was never terribly athletic. Not to say <laughs> that I am like grossly unable uh, to, to, to move or anything. I just It just didn't really appeal to me all that much. And so what was left? Right. Books, books and, and, of course, television, television, which was this magical window that I could lose myself in and, and see all sorts of neat stuff. Right. And you have one up on me because I wasn't even really into books that much as a kid for me it was pretty much television um and playing by myself because i was an awkward child but (laughs) (laughs) we we all we all played by ourselves i think we all had our imaginary friends yeah many of them inspired by the television programs that we were watching absolutely definitely for me um batman and power rangers were part of my everyday oh power rangers absolutely yeah oh man i remember racing home from school because they would always put it on 230 man we had to you had to get back quick man yeah you you, you didn't have time to dally you know and uh yeah uh, hang hang out you had to get back there there was always one uh day a week wednesdays at my my catholic school that i grew up in uh where we would get out of school at two o'clock 
Okay, there you and go. And that was our like our day of hope because we would have to race <laughs> home because we only lived 10 minutes away from school to make it home in time for because Power Rangers. Because otherwise, if we didn't make it home by that time, it was pretty much Saturday mornings was the only time we could really watch right, that show. Right, exactly, exactly. But there would always be Batman the Animated Series, and that was that was enough. And what this really goes – and you know it's really bad too when – when your parents punish you, they just choose to ground you from television. That was the worst. Yeah. That was that was. It was like no. Just I actually would have preferred capital punishment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just hit me, please. Strike me across the face right now, but don't take away my television, please. <laughs> exactly. Um, that's funny, <laughs> but you know it's it's true though because you know it's funny how how the television, in many cases, started out as being considered kind of lower class. It wasn't yeah. really considered to be. Um, a source of, of quality entertainment. Um, and it has changed and evolved so much over time. And I think that kind of got us talking. Wouldn't it be neat if we went ahead and just kind of examined a little bit more about the history of this, uh, this sometimes misunderstood friend of ours who's in pretty much every home at this point in, in an American household. Absolutely. And, you know, it goes without saying that now television is probably the most pervasive form of media uh that we have in today's world you know so yeah. understanding its roots i think is really really important right well you know I've, I've always been interested by you know late 19th century attempts to to advance technology and, and see what they could do with it what already existing technologies were around and what they could manipulate and change yeah. and, and modify now correct me if i'm wrong you said that you found a mechanical television from yeah, the late 19th and century exactly and you know this is funny because i Prior to us really kind of starting this conversation around this, I didn't really even know these existed. And I feel kind of, I feel kind of bad for it. But um, when you realize that there really weren't all that many of them around, uh, that the first attempts that were being done were very much experimental. They were being done in Germany in the late 19th century. Um, Paul Nipko, who was a student in Germany, developed the very first mechanical television. Um, and he succeeded in, in doing so um by essentially so let me let me try to visualize this for you folks uh, let me try to, to explain it to you um but essentially they consisted of a neon tube okay which was emanating the light source obviously behind a mechanically spinning disc all right and which was named after paul nipko the nipko disc with a spiral of apertures that were um then producing this kind of small um, almost, um, I guess you'd say it was about the size of like a postage stamp, right? Uh, and then this image itself would be magnified by a magnifying glass that was attached to it. And that would produce <laughs> a much larger image. And by much, I mean, uh, it was probably about I, I, the most ones that I've seen are about four to five inches across. I mean, they're, they're, they're which for the record is pretty much the size of a standard, uh, smartphone screen. Uh, right. nowadays yeah if you have a galaxy nexus then you know what we're talking about that, that was the size of the first television <laughs> but much lower quality yeah, much much lower quality yeah, we're talking fuzzy. about literally the very first ones we're producing uh simple kind of silhouette images not moving at that point they were still images right and they were literally 30 lines of resolution to begin with 30 lines just to give you a, a kind of a perspective on that is standard analog television, standard definition television, not even considered an HD, right. uh, depending on what format you're in, whether, mm -hmm. what country you're in, has anywhere between uh, 550 to 625 scan lines right. of exactly. resolution. So we're talking, we're talking about 30. We're talking at least 25 to 30 times 
or th- sorry, 25 to 20 times. You're math is not my strong me. suit. You're, yeah. a- you're asking yeah. me. You're asking me a question. This is nerds about on math. history, not nerds on math. Okay, exactly. <laughs> so um, that's the, the reason why I the study point history is, is it's a, the, I can't do math. Exactly. Case in point, it's substantially higher resolution. Right, right, right. Right. Than what, what these guys <laughs> were. Yeah. Um, eventually, the technology was refined to the point where mechanical televisions were capable of producing uh, approximately 200, about 250 lines of resolution. So that's not actually that bad. Um, they produced a very clear image. They eventually, you know, incorporated moving images, obviously, which is what really wowed people, what people wanted to see. Um, but they were they were greatly limited. You know, the, the technology itself um, would eventually be beaten out by the electronic television, right, which used the CRTs, which used, you know, the, the boob tube, right, right. Uh, which was easier <clears throat> to produce. Right. It was, it was economically, it just made a lot more sense. Sure. Um, and it, it gained in popularity because of right. all those reasons and above. And eventually the mechanical television by the 1930s yeah. was pretty much gone. It was pretty much extinct. Let's take a step back for a second because when we're talking about how this technology developed and what we're talking about when we even, when we even say the word scan lines, I think it's important to break that down. So for, sure. those, for those out there who don't know what we're talking about, uh, the image you see on a television uh, is broken down into um, fields. Uh, which is, think of it like two, uh, an image is actually being woven together. And these fields are broken down of scan lines. So these series of lines, hundreds of these together, put together, form kind of like a tapestry. They form what the the overall final picture right. is that you see on screen. And it's the weaving of those back and forth that creates the the animation, the motion of the image that we're, that we're looking at. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I remember, I seem to remember anyway, taking pictures of my... Pre-HD televisions, right? My my standard definition televisions back in the day that were, got caught in a picture that I was taking or what have you. And I would see like half of the image was gone. Yeah. Is that kind of what we're referring to when we're talking about scan lines? Correct. Then? Correct. Because um, well, the best way you can try to compare it to is film. Because film has frames to it, right? right? One still image and really about 30 – it's about 24 of those in, in film terms make up one second of moving imagery. Whereas um, – But video is much higher, isn't it? Video is – well, it depends on the format. So video is 30 frames per second if it's – we're talking pretty much standard television. Okay. Though it's changing with HD. Uh, but within those one frames would com- compose two fields. Yeah. So um, one half the image basically. So that's what you're what you're referring to. Got it. And it looks kind of sawtooth, right? Right, There's exactly. Like, uh-huh. These lines, yeah, or uh, rasters as we would call them. Um, they – that is what composes – Half of the image, basically. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Um, it, you know, and it's amazing when you're talking about 30 lines of resolution then. Yeah. And you're talking about people probably really had to use their imagination when they were first kind of conjuring up these images that these mechanical televisions were producing. And um, what's cool, though, is I found some pictures online. And you folks at home who are listening to this, uh, you guys can find these pictures simply by Googling uh, mechanical television, or, and we're going to try this out for the first time. We're going to do something kind of neat. Um, we're going to try chirping it to you. For those of you who aren't familiar with it, it's relatively new. So don't feel bad. Like you're out of the social loop if you don't understand what this means. Um, but essentially chirp is a, is a app for the iOS devices, right? So for iPhones and iPads and, and iPod touches, and you can download it for free. Um, it's got the little icon. It looks like a little bird. It's very cute. It's all yellow. A bird that's fit. That's square shaped. Square shaped. Yeah, exactly. Like, like so it's doing extreme close up on a on a baby chicken. 
Exactly. Uh, that's what you're looking at. And if you're familiar with QR codes and the way that they work, where you take a picture of something and then it links you to whatever it is it wants to link to, this does kind of the same thing, but with audio. So if you just open up the app, uh, you will receive uh, an audio signal. The Chirp app will listen to it, and then you'll get linked to what it is that I'm talking about. And that's exactly what we're going to give a try right now. So, uh, Brian, you got your Chirp app open, right? I do, sir. Okay, so Brian's ready to receive. You guys at home, go ahead and open up your Chirp app, and you guys can can listen to it, too. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chirp you right now. Sweet. Okay, so I chirped you a link. Um, I didn't chirp the actual picture because <laughs> I was slightly concerned with the way that this exactly works. I'm not exactly 100% way the, sure the way that Chirp works, but I know it's stored on their servers. Uh, and I figured they'd probably be more willing to store a URL link than an actual image for longer. So hopefully if you're listening sure. to this from the archives, um, you're still able to get it. But like oh. I said, you can just Google it if yeah. you want. Well, this is fascinating because since we are an audio podcast, right. to, to really invoke the theater of the mind, uh, what you're seeing is kind of a side profile portrait of a man. But broken down into very clearly what look like lines, like there's strips of an image that were cut up and put together. Right. So those um, are the scan lines that you're talking about, right? Correct. Pretty much, yeah. But yeah. these are vertical, which is usually because uh, on television, it's horizontal. Right, right. So it's a little bit different. It, and it, it's really neat. And I mean, I, I think it's a man. It might be a woman. I honestly don't know because the image is not, it is pretty defined, but, it, you know, it's not. It's also fairly dark. Yeah. yeah, it's pretty dark too. But when you were watching television, uh, on a mechanical television back in the 1920s when they started to become a little bit more co commercially available, this is the kind of image that you were seeing. At the Absolutely. And to be really honest with you, to, to kind of put myself in the perspective of someone who would be seeing this for the first time, the quality wouldn't matter. The, oh, right. sheer, the sheer fact that you were seeing a moving image in a box in front of you yeah. was literally like magic, yeah. you know? And, um, you know, it's kind of hard for us to understand because we see video Everywhere you go to a mall now, and movie posters are are even animated now. You just drive video. down the freeway, exactly. And you have you have animated billboards up right. these days. And while those use more uh, trickery with with lights and pixels, really, it's not that far removed yeah, from modern concept, from modern television. Displaying a moving image um, in a two dimensional fashion, exactly. So to put things in the social perspective of what this was like. You have an anecdote about this, don't you? Right. Okay. So um, we have to jump forward a few years, right, um, to the electronic televisions. And we've got to jump forward to my father getting his first TV. Right. So I'll just throw it out there right now. I, I don't think he cares. But he was born in 1939. He was born right at the start of the Second World War. Right. But, but not before. But so a couple years before we got involved with World War too. Correct. Yeah. But war in Europe. War yeah. in Europe started with the invasion of Poland, and he was born literally a couple of days before that. So, nice little omen. Um, <laughs> <laughs> love you, Dad. Um, so, uh, it's interesting because during that time, and particularly in 1942, when America entered the war, commercial te television sets were not being produced. They just weren't being made. There was actually a ban on them. Um, and so, it wasn't until 1945 uh, after the capitulation of Japan, when America left a war state, that TV started being produced again. And it would be a few years later before my father would actually get one in his home. Um, but the story that I remember him telling me is that, you know, they got the first TV on the block and everyone from the block suddenly invited themselves over to see the television. You made a more modern reference, uh, modern comparison to it 
if I correct me if I'm wrong, it was with uh, a little piece of technology we call the iPad. If I'm not mistaken. Well, right, exactly. So that's actually how this whole conversation started, right? right. So um, my brother-in-law, he bought the original iPad a couple of years back. He brought it over uh, for a family dinner, I think we were doing. I don't know exactly what it was. But quickly, everyone had forgot about everything else that was going on. And we were all just drooling over this really cool new piece of technology. It was literally just sitting on the table. And all of us were standing around gawking at it. And my father turns to me and he says, I remember this. Like, what are you talking about? This is the first time we've ever seen this. He says, no, 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 no. This is exactly what we did when we got our first television. <laughs> he said, the, the only difference was this screen is bigger than the TV that we had. <laughs> My how technology has improved. Yeah, it's crazy, isn't then. it? Yeah. It's so wild. And to really think about it, too, because only at the most, I would say 50, and that's really being generous, years before that, had there been the dawn of radio. You know, right. So, you know, we're talking about, you know, uh, a culture worldwide who before that only means of communication they had was letter writing. And the telegraph, pretty much. But the telegraph was basically coded letter writing, right? So to take that into, first off, a global audio signal, and then now to add moving picture to it uh, is within a short period of time is kind of like almost what we feel like with computers today. You know, the, within 30 years, we've gone from the the old, very thick 20, 40 to 40 pound CRT computers to the mobile phone, which the smartphone, which is... 10 times more, if not more, 100 times more powerful than those computers are uh, and can are capable of way more than those things were even thought imaginable at that time. Yeah. And the, you know? the advancement of technology is, is really yeah. striking how, how quickly it moves. And the 20th century alone was basically this unprecedented surge in, in electronic technology that yeah. we've never, it's never been matched by any other civilization anywhere. I just, I want to bring it back for a second sure. to, to the, to talking about radio for a minute, because yeah. there were a lot of people who were very hostile at the idea of television and this takeover of television and the destruction of radio and these, you know, great radio dramas that were so important to America and important to America's survival of its culture. And what I mean by that is, you know, with the, with the first and second world war, America almost spiritually was sometimes really being torn apart. You know, they were sending their youngest assets, really, because of these these people who are going over and fighting over in Europe and, and Japan um, were very valuable assets to their family. Of course, they um, were basically they were America at this point was still a predominantly agricultural nation. Yeah. So your family were your workforce pretty exactly. much. And you know, not to mention of course your your beloved people, your your loved sure. ones that you wanted to keep safe and protected at all costs. Yeah. And we were sending them off to die. And we're sending mm -hmm. them off to die in really horrible, terrible ways. And radio was kind of the salvation for a lot of people. Sure. You know, yeah. I remember my father even to this day speaking so fondly of the radio dramas that he grew up with. And he loves them. He loves them to this day. He's tried to get his hands on some of them that were that have survived and actually um, been archived and been able to be listened to. Sure. And um, when television was kind of introduced, it was it was almost kind of you know received as this replacement for radio, this beloved aspect of American culture, and and it was uh, it was kind of received kind of you know with a lot of hostility. Um, obviously, it was a lot more expensive than a than a radio would be, right? Sure. So it was much more of an investment to bring into a household. Not everybody could afford one. Uh, I read an interesting statistic earlier that in 1942, there were only 5,000 televisions in the United States. 
And compared to, do we know roughly how many, what the population was around that time? Uh, I don't know exactly what the population was at that time, but I can tell you only five years later in 1947, uh, there were about 40,000 televisions in, in the United States. Right. And these were predominantly in urban areas, correct? Uh, most of them were actually in uh, New York. Okay. About 30,000 of them were, were in New York where there was the, uh, the majority of the first broadcasting stations um, set course. up in the United States. Like NBC, since we're talking about who claims first, NBC claims itself to be... I think the first both radio, one of the first national radio stations as well because they were a national radio station before they were a television station. Correct. Yeah, uh, WNBC still exists yeah. to this day and is based out of New York City. Both NBC television studios, um, the original television studios, are I think they're in the same building now. If I'm not mistaken, I could yeah. be wrong. I think it was our um, sorry WRGB television station in New York uh, was the very first American station. Uh, to continually continuously operate and is actually still in operation today, and that started in 1926 uh, when the mechanical televisions were still around. There you go. So um, they have that that claim to fame, but I think they are actually a subsidiary or in some way connected with with NBC, like you were saying. Going into this now, the the idea of I mean, we're not going to go fact point by point timeline into the play by play of of the history of television because that would be kind of I feel like that'd be kind of boring, but yeah. Um, I think we've kind of touched on that enough. I mean, obviously, right. we introduced television. It, it took on. <laughs> it, it People liked it. On. Exactly. And even though it may have been reached with a, an initial hostility, and radio still continued to be very important, particularly in England, where right up into the 1970s and 80s, radio dramas were still very popular and being listened to. A great example is one of my favorite sci-fi uh, science fiction stories of all time, which is The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Before it ever became a book, and then later uh, a TV miniseries, and then later a horribly remade movie, but that's a whole another topic. Um, it was a, a radio drama on BBC. Right. And, and uh, Douglas Adams actually pitched it originally as a radio drama, and then yeah. it gained so much popularity, uh, he wrote down the original scripts, uh, knit them together to become the first book, and then continued on in writing uh, the novelized series of, of Hitchhikers. Right. And there are so many... Um, I don't know what you call them, Adamsites, whatever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Who actually attest that that is still the best interpretation of that story. It is. And you can download them. You can listen to them. They're great. They for really free, are right? fantastic. And they're from, just from the BBC yeah. website. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, let me just put this in perspective for you because I'm going to ask you a question and see if you know this. Okay. So we were, we're talking about, we talked about the Dumont network and right. how they are the, the forgotten network, right? Right. And um, I was doing some some very mild research on them, but what I thought was fascinating is they had, you know, uh, as any station would have thousands of hours of um, of programming. But because they were an early television station, we're talking, you know, they started doing programming early, I think, even in, um, let me look at this here, uh, no, in the early 1950s, before we even had videotape. You know, right, right, right. Because videotape was, even though it wasn't commercially available until the 80s, was used by studios, at least, as a way of archiving, you know, your shows. Sure. Otherwise, it was just a live broadcast with no actual recording taking place. It's kind of kind of weird to think that there was, like, literally, it was a live stream and that was it. Yeah. But, you know? hey, most of early American television, and including those very first uh, commercials, right. were all that, that way and have been right. lost to us from time now. And from what, I, and what I've been told... From what I've been reading, the only way you could really record, quote unquote, a television show was to literally rig up a film camera right? that was capturing the live stream of yeah. the, of the hey, television. Yeah, people were doing that. Um, you know me, I'm a big uh, Doctor Who fan, right? This is nerds on history. Right, <laughs> right. right. exactly. Uh, and 
a lot of those early um a lot of the early recordings of Doctor Who that were done by the BBC, their archives were yeah. taped over. Oh and, my gosh. Yeah, and they lost uh, a good chunk of the first Doctor and the second Doctor's series of Doctor Who. And loyal fans though, which were so dedicated to the show, took still images of their television sets and recorded the audio. And that's the only way that those shows actually remain to us today. Wow. Uh, and you can find them, these these telesnaps, right? And they even have, um, some people have compiled them together and they even have um, kind of written lead-ins into the next scene for the stuff that didn't wasn't captured, that the images weren't captured. Right. Um, played along to the audio. And of course, only the nerdiest of Doctor Who fans, Whovians, as we call ourselves like myself, <laughs> um, have these and enjoy these and are actually willing to watch a 10-part <laughs> Doctor Who series all yeah. with just still well there is some kind of a mystique to it saying oh interesting how they strung it together from that um, it's kind of like a radio drama almost at that point yeah exactly well so Dumont did this right the Dumont and by don't, I don't mean Dumont personally but rather his company the network did it right? network did this and that was how they archived a lot of the shows what are some of the more popular shows that were actually aired on the this is a the big network. one the honeymooners all right yeah, the yeah. honeymooners. That's was, cool. Was, I didn't know that. Yeah, and uh, in fact, after the the studio went under, um, their assets were bought by other companies. Okay. ABC had acquired the the archives of of Dumont. Okay, oh, okay. so the shows that eventually entered into syndication were they played on ABC? Then I don't know if they were played on ABC, but here's what's more interesting: hmm. thousands of hours of those were destroyed and harvested because we're talking about old style film. Right. And the thing about, there's a reason why they call it the silver screen. You know why they call it the silver screen? I have, I have no idea. The film, the, the most prevalent chemical in that was silver nitrate. Oh, okay. That makes sense. So, yeah. So, um, literally they were harvesting silver nitrate from these old pages. So they, they destroyed oh, man. a lot of these film reels to, oh. to extract silver nitrate from it. And recycling the, taken to the extreme. Exactly. And the uh, the majority of the 350 episodes of television that are left are of the Honeymooners. Really? Yeah. So That's th interesting. There's a few other. And actually, I really wanted to bring this up, too, because if you're yeah. ever curious about this, um, Google the Wayback Machine. The Wayback Machine is a website run by archive.org. The Wayback Machine. The Wayback okay. Machine. Archive.org is a... Uh, do you want to chirp that? Let's chirp it. Okay. Okay, so you guys should be seeing this now. Definitely. So um, for those who don't have the Chirp app, uh, archive.org is a nonprofit organization run here in the Bay Area. Uh, they're based out of San Francisco. Yeah. And their job, they, they have tasked themselves with the mission of archiving uh, websites. But not just that. But of course, all the information that's, that's now housed in that. And if you do some Googling, or not, I <laughs> see... <laughs> not googling not googling do some searching within that site yeah um you will find that's just the word for search now is google it, google, google it really is google is now a verb exactly, yeah, exactly. google is for for all searching hey honey i'm googling for my shoes <laughs> <laughs> you gotta buy a new pair no i just lost them i'm trying to find them around the house <laughs> you're an idiot <laughs> um so I'm just I'm googling for the words right now. I just I, I, I can't I can't bring yeah. them to the, I am my lips. so mad. I am googling for the words at you, Eric. <laughs> anyway, we do. Okay, so, sorry. Um, if you were to do some searching within that site for Dumont Television Network, you would find some really interesting things, including 
um, some television episodes uh-huh. that are archived. Um, and you would even find, like, they're opening, like, this is a program of the DuMont Television Network. Like, that whole opening credit that you would get. That is so cool. Of- I didn't even know that they existed. And it's ironic considering the 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 work that they really did that led to mainstreaming television in the United States. Sure. The irony of it all, that they, you know, were one of the first, and they now almost completely disappeared from from modern memory. Right. Yeah. yeah. You know. Well, I'm glad that there's websites like this that are doing that, that are archiving this kind of information. Um, because it's important. You know, it, it may not seem all that important, but hey, it's one of the firsts. And yeah. that's how we reflect on ourselves, and that's how we learn from where we were and where we're going to be. Definitely. And I think a huge thing for me to talk about, to make this personal, bring this yeah, to a personal yeah, yeah. level, is um, I had two important occurrences in my life where I came really face-to-face with television, um, one from a historical aspect and one from uh, just from an artistic aspect. My uncle's first wife is a ca- was a casting director, or is it? And she actually still is. She has actually has her own agency in L.A., no names will be mentioned here. Um, so she was cast directing director for a sitcom. When we were visiting, we actually got tickets to go see the sitcom. Okay. And so when I was like five years old, I got to see a live taping of a sitcom. That's and cool. It's very cool. And But it also was kind of sad because for me that broke the magic early on because this wasn't live, unfortunately. This isn't like the old television because in – excuse me. In the – Really, we should probably no. I think we need to reconsider the drinking of beer while we're <laughs> while we're doing this because don't tell them our secret. <laughs> anyway, in the 1930s and 40s, when you did a, a live television sitcom, it was literally live. There was right. no second take. When they were talking about a live studio audience, there is no laugh track being done. We're talking about if, if people are yeah. laughing and goofing off in the audience, you're going to hear it in the background. And if you look, watch old shows like your show of shows from Sid Caesar from the early 50s and even Carol Burnett from the 70s and early 80s, um, you know, that was the magic of it. Because when you saw them make a mistake, it was how they covered for it. Right. And that, yeah. and that, you know, when you watch that now, that's some of the funniest moments on television. Of course. That's what we all remember, right? Is them all just trying to keep themselves from completely breaking up. Right. And the only the only show left that really does that is Saturday, Saturday Night, Night Live. Live. Yeah, exactly. And <laughs> even then, sometimes if the sketch doesn't go so well for the live taping, they'll use the dress rehearsal that was done without an audience right. before. And then right. and it, then it's still this semi-artificial experience. Well, mine was totally artificial because when they did something wrong, they would just do another take sure. with the audience there. And I just remember thinking as a kid, wow, this is taking a really long time to, to, to go through. <laughs> They're doing the same thing five times over again. And so, unfortunately, I kind of blocked for many years, blocked that out because I enjoyed the fantasy and magic of of seeing the television and edited together. I think that's why everybody loves television. You can just lose yourself in it. And Absolutely, with the exception of the news and god awful reality television, uh, you can really just lose yourself in in the magic of it all. And it's something that you don't have to pay a lot of money for up front. You can just kind of sit down, turn something on, and veg out for a moment just relax um you don't have to make a big ordeal about it like when you do when you have to go to the movies you know you got to buy a ticket you got to find a time you you don't want to go alone because you feel kind of awkward you have to find people to go with you you have to debate over which time you want to go to it's a big ordeal definitely television you can just sit there by yourself and watch god-awful infomercials at two in the morning if that's what you know gets you off go for it yeah well the other thing that was cool is my step-grandmother barbara um lives in culver city now, Culver City, for those people who don't know, is really – that's the real filmmaking capital of the world. It's not L.A. 
Um, LA has, is certainly popular because it's been there's a lot of film that's done in LA. Right, right. But it's all the cities around LA that okay. really make it big. And Culver City is the hometown of the original MGM building, which is now Sony Pictures, um, Desilu, um, of course, bringing it back to television, and then of course Paramount Pictures. Paramount, by the way, was the film partner of Dumont. They actually had a, a partnership together. Oh, okay, that's interesting. Um, but when I was when I first visited her, uh, when I was like ten or eleven years old. She took me to the Paley Center for Media, which at the time was called the Museum of Television and Radio. Oh, that's cool. It's in Beverly Hills. There's also one in New York City. And this is a live archive of old radio shows and old television shows. And you can literally go into a listening room and call up in a computer system, call up a radio show and listen to it. And you can call up a a television show in their system and watch uh, at these little terminals. That is uh, cool. It is so cool. And you can spend – you, you pay like a, an admission fee just for the day and you can spend hours there. Do, do they permit you to just walk around in your boxer shorts and carry around a, a soda? I didn't try that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Given that it's Beverly Hills, I have a feeling maybe not. Given that it's Beverly Hills, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> so um, – and that experience – and that, I thought that was so cool. Yeah, that, that sounds I, really neat. That, um, that I went – I asked her to go back when we when we went again That's when cool. I kept visiting her, and to me that is one of the fondest memories I have uh, of of Barbara and actually of uh, just of of television in general, like seeing it. Well, you know, live. I I feel like television has brought a lot of families together, and I think radio did the same thing though. Okay, not to not to diminish radio's effect, but I feel like everyone gathered around as a family to listen to one of these or watch one of these forms of entertainment, right? And television, because radio has started to kind of move away from that, and television's become more uh, of the more popular genre. Ironically, we're talking about that on a podcast. Yeah. Still, <laughs> uh, <laughs> we'll listen to us, though. We're good. I, I feel like it's it's still that family-building activity. Like, I, I sit and watch TV with my wife and my children, and it, it's a great opportunity for us to all just kind of relax and be together and, you know, just be together as a family. And it makes me think about, you know, when I was growing up and the first TVs that I had, right? And... We, when I was growing up, we didn't have a whole lot of money. Okay. My mom's a teacher and my dad works for the county park. Yeah. So, so we didn't have a whole lot of money. Exactly. <laughs> two government employees, right? right? Right. We're taking care of, you know, they were taking care of three kids and my grandparents and paying, you know, property tax on two houses. We didn't have a whole lot of money. We relied a lot on, on hand-me-downs and the TV that we bought that we had bought new, uh, I think it, it was in like 1982. Eric, Eric just did air quotes. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> Big can old hear the quotes. inflection in my voice. <laughs> New. Um, you know, I think we, we had bought it probably in like 1980 or 1981 or something. It was a Zenith. Remember <laughs> when Zenith was really popular? Yeah. And they were still around. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was actually kind of cool. It was all wood paneling. Right. Yeah, yeah. I remember. I think I actually may have had one of those televisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people did. Yeah. Um, and it had a reasonably decent sized screen, right? It was probably like 20 inches or something like that. I don't know. Maybe it was a little smaller than that. And it just, I think of it as being bigger. We always imagine it in our heads that it, things were bigger we and were more, huge, more right? grandiose than we were, they really were. We were smaller back then. Of course. Um, and I remember this, this big uh, wooden monstrosity sitting in my living room and uh, us all sitting around as a family and watching it to a certain degree. Because eventually my father would then kick us out of the room because he wanted to watch something that nobody else wanted to watch. <laughs> uh, and so all the kids were then forced into the kitchen uh, where, hands down, Friday night, we would watch ourselves a little TGIF. Oh, man. And, so you were a TGIF kid, too. Oh, for sure. Come yeah, on, so man. I grew favorite? up in the late 80s and the early 90s. So which was your favorite of the... Uh, Obviously, Full House was, I think, a, a, a right. popular So you're one. early, you're going that to early TGIF. Yeah, man. Yeah. I'm talking Full House, Family Matters. I love Urkel. 
Yeah. <laughs> to this day, um, did I do that? Still, of course. Still invokes feelings of nostalgia dude, in me. Dude, I'm getting giddy right now. Cause <laughs> I remember because Full House moved to Tuesday nights after a few seasons. and Yeah, it kind of took off and became popular yeah. without the help of the rest of right. the lineup. But the, the two big ones I remember consistently were always Family Matters yeah. and Step by Step. Oh, okay, sure, for sure, absolutely, yeah, step yeah. by step, and that god awful theme song. <laughs> oh, right. Just, well, they all had god awful theme songs. Well, of course songs. they did, but this was particularly bad. I yeah. Think. Oh, and um, oh god, what was that? Uh, what was the other one with the two brothers, and one of them was like Albanian or something? And I can't. Oh, remember. Perfect Strangers. Perfect Strangers. <laughs> Perfect Strangers was, was so amazing. Balky and Larry. Cole's oh, and, it was Cole's so good. And Nettie. Oh my god, that was great. <laughs> Love that show. Exactly. And you know what? I can guarantee you our listeners are doing the exact same thing that we're doing right right now. Right, totally. Calling up those memories and that nostalgia. Now, do you remember that – sorry, and I'm totally derailing what you're going to say. That's fine. Do you remember, though, that Family Matters was actually a spinoff of Perfect Strangers? I didn't know. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. The um, Harriet, Uh uh, Carl's wife, was a character in Perfect Strangers. (laughs) Right. And I don't know how, but – they how somehow worked her into worked and it just yeah they just it just they carried over that was yeah. really that was really the only difference now I could be saying that and I could be dead wrong and it's just the same actress but I'm almost positive that okay, it was folks, it, if Brian's wrong please give us a, a thrashing online and let us know you know we we said this last night when we recorded nerds on film so I'm totally open to it I'm willing to admit when I'm wrong or talking completely out of my ass <laughs> so um please I, I we'll play a little game is Brian yeah. talking out of his ass yeah. Please and school me in anal ventriloquism. <laughs> <laughs> okay. We are totally der- derailing from what I was originally going to say. You just now no, ruined no... my childhood with your anal ventriloquism. Thank you. There is no – there is no – so let's just – Let's just stop. move on. Let's just move on. Okay, exactly. just, what were you gonna say? What I was going to say, which now has lost so much of its, of its, of its meaning. Anyway, that's fine. Anyway, as kids, like I said, we took over the kitchen, right? And we would watch our TGIF, and then Dad would go and watch whatever he was watching. Um, but we had our revenge. <laughs> right. Because Saturday morning, my parents would sleep in, and the TV was ours. And we would, every single Saturday morning, my sister would wake me up, and we would always do this. We would take the cushions off of the couch, and we would position them approximately 12 inches from the screen... <laughs> And we would park our butts there with our bowls of cereal, and we would watch ourselves some Saturday morning cartoons. Oh, and of yeah. course, we would just have the time of our life. We'd crank that old-style dial up and get the volume up, and my dad would come on out, you know, because his room was right next door to the living room, right? <laughs> He's like, turn that damn TV down. And, you know, we would promptly ignore him and then continue watching <laughs> cartoons. And um, I miss that TV. Yeah, I miss just that there's really, you know, I would always – Wake up in the morning, and I would hope that there would be Saturday morning cartoons on. And really now the only station that does it is CBS. CBS and I think UPN or CW, whatever the hell it's called now. I remember um, Fox was the, the, the Fox big was a one, huge right? one. Fox yeah. and ABC. They even had their own – I remember subscribing to this, the, uh, like a kid's magazine that was completely centered around Saturday morning cartoons. I could Absolutely. be totally wrong, no, but I'm Fox pretty sure Kids, I remember that. No, there was Fox Kids Magazine. There You're you absolutely go. Right. That's what it was. Because Fox Kids, not only do they have um, Saturday mornings, they also had weekday afternoons from like 2.30 to 5. Right. which we will watch our Power Rangers and all that. And stuff. Batman we're about and, and the Masked Rider, if you remember that at all. 
He was the like the insectoid. He was like the spinoff of the Power Rangers. I don't remember that. Uh, there was even a tie-in episode. That's how they introduced him. I probably blocked that out. Okay, so <laughs> some nerds out there just like their ears just perked up. Said Master Rider. You remember the Master Rider? Yes, the Master Rider. Uh, he was an alien. It was almost like kind of a mishmash of Superman and the Power Rangers because he was an alien visitor. That's bizarre. And he wasn't the last of his race, but he was the last free of his race because his world was was embattled, and he would um. When he was encountering aliens from his world, he would transform himself into the Masked Rider, which was a right. very insectoid-looking human uh, Power Ranger-looking thing. Right, right, right. And that's how he – and he would, you know, do battle with him in a very Japanese way where, you know, there's lots of squibs <laughs> and explosions. And, explosions, yeah. And, okay. uh, you can tell it was cut <laughs> from, like, the original Japanese version that was done, like, 20 years ago. All right. Um, um, so, anyway, tangent aside, I, I too, have – Extremely fond memories of those Saturday mornings. And I, I remember I, that was the only day where I woke up super early. I was up sure. at like 6.30, 6.45. And I would even catch the later end of the morning news because I didn't care. I didn't want to miss a moment. Absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, just to kind of kind of bring it all home, we, we, you know, we talked a little bit today about the innovation of the technology, the the really the, the creative nature that led to the development of television, mm-hmm. right? And it's you know, eventual landing in, in, in our society and culture. And then we've talked a lot about how it really affects the home and how it affects individuals and how it, you know, builds bonds and these great memories. I think that we would be doing it a disservice if we didn't talk about the real cultural impact that television has had and how it's really forward um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of the developments that have happened in American culture, uh, particularly, you know, the civil rights movement. Uh, over the past 50 years and everything that's happened there. Because when we talk about television and we talk about early television, it was a domain that was very safe. People played it very politically safe. And we see examples of this with like, um, I Love Lucy. Right. Right. We were talking about this earlier, right? So um, even showing a pregnant woman on television was extremely controversial. I Love Lucy was the first television show to show a pregnant woman. To show a pregnant woman. And not only that, but to actually show... Uh, a married couple, um, I, I, I think they still had separate beds at that point, but they were both kind of like in their nighttime atti- attire. And they were, and they were in the same together. room, yeah. Prior yeah. to that, not only was it considered um, inappropriate to show a, a woman who was expecting uh, on, on television, but to even imply... To imply that she was going to give birth. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. No, but to even imply that a husband and wife stayed in the same room. Yeah, yeah. was far too risque, even for... And we think of that now, and you, just, you think, really? With what, what we see on television yeah. now, that, that's that's like nothing. You, you watch True Blood, and you're essentially watching vampire porn. <laughs> exactly. Right. Pretty much, yeah. So we've gone from I Love Lucy to vampire porn. Okay. But, I mean, you know, it, it's interesting, though. Um, the social barriers that were pushed with television and right. how people started to feel comfortable looking at the other things that were going on around them. Some really incredible developments in, in the civil rights movement, right? Definitely. So everything that was going on in, in the South and with segregation and breaking down those barriers and, you know, really introducing a concept and an, and a, and an aura of tolerance into America Right. The television in many ways was an instrument for that and brought that about. Absolutely. And I would even say, thinking of the Vietnam War too, that was the first war because World War II was radio and film. Right. Where we got to really see it live. Not live, but within a short proximity of it taking Uh, place. Okay. The Korean War did have some of the first examples of that, but you're talking about to a larger audience, right? To a much larger audience. Yeah. Yeah. 
And absolutely, and those barriers and those romanticisms that were built around war were completely torn down. And imagine the national opposition to the Korean, or excuse me, well, yeah, to the Korean, and also more prominently to the Vietnam War, um, if we didn't have television displaying, you know, the news and telling us about all of these American soldiers that were being killed. And for mm -hmm. what? You know, imagine if we didn't have that, right? have those graphic images being displayed to us. Maybe the Vietnam War would have gone on for a little bit longer. Thinking just from a political perspective, too, before radio and television, just in our country, yeah, you maybe got a drawing of what the president looked like, and you right. knew, and you heard who the president was, and you voted for him. You usually heard someone who spoke in, you know, on behalf of a candidate, right? And so you voted for him based on that orator. There are many people who live their entire lives never even seeing a president or even knowing knowing the person's name only. Television put a face to a name. And it actually connected people together in a more intimate way than we've ever had before. And it's displayed some really incredible things that have gone on live in front of people. The Challenger explosion, for example. Right. We know, saw which that was live. broadcast yeah. live to millions of Americans because, uh, you know, the, the United States space program had kind of lost a lot of its flair with, uh, with NASA and with the shuttle program. And so they reignited it by sending the first teacher into outer space, right? So yeah. it gained a lot of popularity and people were watching it live. And then they watch that tragedy unfold in front yeah. of them. Not only that, but just to think of September 11th, of course. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If that had not been – if there was no television or radio, would have really had, more television, yeah. it would be a totally different experience. Yeah. I remember, as we all do, we all have our 9-11 story, right? I'm not going to go into great length and into detail into it all. But I, I just – I remember waking up in the morning and my father walking into my room. I was still in high school at the time. And he said, Eric, you need to wake up. And I thought it was just like, you know, trying to get for school. So I was just like, whatever. He's like, no, history is being made right now and you need to see it. And I'll never for the life of me forget those words. Sure. They're as clear in my ears today as they were the moment my father spoke to me. And I remember walking out into the living room in this kind of half awake stupor and immediately being aware of what was going on. And the moment I walked in the room, the second tower fell. Oh, my God. And it fell right there in front of me, live. And it was it was on television. It's one of those things that's going to stick with me the rest of my life. Absolutely. And I remember I was in class when, the, when those happened, but I remember it was the only time where we felt it was so important that we, we had a live TV. In the classroom. Up, in yeah. the classroom. And in and in the, the – you literally – there was not a room you couldn't go to in that school, including the library. Where it wasn't being shown. Where it wasn't yeah. being shown, live broadcast of what was going on. And, and just to dial that back for a second to my father's – time and my yeah. mother's time when they were in school and they were watching the moon landing right they watched that on television if the tv hadn't become popular just 20 years before that we would have been listening to neil armstrong on the moon right we wouldn't and have only think about that it. but if there had been no mass media period right these would have just been like oh did you hear about that and we were like oh that's cool you know it, it would have <laughs> lost it's all magic. of its, all of it, yeah. no, of that, but that's just all of its power, sure. you know, all of its significance. Yeah, maybe, maybe not with September 11th because that was considered a, an attack on American soil. You know, that would have been that, that would have still would have been powerful regardless. But I think it was an even deeper dagger in everyone's heart because, because we they could were see seeing it, it live because we were seeing it happening. Yeah, exactly. exactly. It, it it's not the same as actually being there, but it was pretty damn close. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, real quick, I just want to say a shout out to Star Trek. <laughs> of course i love star trek because this course. is nerds on history um star trek did a lot 
of those barriers and tearing them Absolutely. down. Absolutely. You saying, I believe you said that there was the, the first... The very first interracial kiss broadcast on American television. Right. Was that her and Kirk? That was her and Kirk. <laughs> right. Um, and that was huge in of itself, right? That was a really big moment. Of course. But when you just looked at the bridge of the Enterprise, what did you see? You saw... You saw well, a Japanese guy in the in the front who was flying the ship right you had a russian immediately to his right who was in charge of the weapons right ironically <laughs> uh and then you had an african-american sitting behind you who was in charge of communications and an alien from a whole other species who was, who was second the best command. friend of the captain yeah. who wasn't even human and he was there to to keep them all in line yeah with so friends. it was roddenberry's very subtle way of talking about very equality. subtle yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> less than subtle less, well you know Okay, I get it. There's a yeah. sense of if you're if you're a kid that. watching Star Trek, you're not thinking about that. You're thinking right, about exactly. Captain Kirk. You, you just think, well, they're all equal, and that's the point. And that's the point, exactly. Oh, and let's not forget, we also had a Scotsman down in the uh, in the engine room. This has been a really great show. This has been a really great show, and uh, I think we 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 going into this, but we made connections that we didn't really even think that we were going to make. You know, that's good. I like that. I like that when that happens. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I hope that you listeners have also made those same connections and kind of been able to relate to us. And I encourage you, as I'm going to do at the end of every single episode, don't take our word for it. Go out and find out for yourself. Pick up a book, download an ebook, go online, go to a library. Go to a library. They still exist. They're, these books with paper in them yeah. are really unique. Yeah. Um, and. Go find out for yourself, because I'm sure you can one up us with a whole bunch of information. And please, and we we want you to one up us. We want to be proven wrong. Yeah, you know, put it up online. It, absolutely, it, even more so than being proven wrong. Just give us something we didn't know, yeah. and, and maybe we'll give you a shout out in uh, in one of our future episodes. Absolutely, and what a way to say to end it with thank you for listening to Nerds on History. You can follow us on Twitter at Nerdonomy and on our website at Nerdonomy.com. Thank you again for listening. About Facebook. Absolutely. Good night, Eric. Good night, Brian. Mm-hmm.